Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. Recording. All right, welcome to another Detroit Is Different podcast recording. Uh, this one, as you hear the echo, you hear the feel, we are in full effect in the urban network. So this is Detroit Is Different on the road, collaborating for a day of racial equity uh, and racial healing. This is connected to an initiative that has been something that the nation itself has been doing, that's going international, and we're entering a discussion about what racial healing and equity looks like in community development. I am here at the Urban Network with the mind behind the Urban Network, Yousef Shakur. Yousef, how you feeling? Feeling good, good brother. Yes, sir, yes, sir. So uh, without any further ado, let's get right into uh, what we're here to talk about by you introducing the urban network in the space. Uh, so can you please give a breakdown in introducing yourself, speak to the work of the urban network, and in what ways do you connect the community in developing this space? So in introducing myself, again, my name is Yousef Bunchy Shakur. I'm a native of this, of this neighborhood. I grew up liter literally right down the street. My mother still stays there. Um, so out of that experience of you know, being a former gang member, you know, growing up in this area, uh, experiencing the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, all that has shaped me. And shaping me, it inspired me coming home out of prison to want to do something you know, positive back in my community. And I, that initiative started with the, uh, the annual backpack event. And, and then in the process, it evolved to where we got a storefront where where we was doing hosting an open mic um, bookstore where that evolved into um, a, a cafe slash community center that we named the urban network we ran that for like four years it was located on grand river and mcgraw we hosted a um, poetry series it, it was it was the thing to be you know it was a, brought a cross section of different people together right in the neighborhood and all what always wanted to continue that vision, um, we was forced to close. And so where we at now in this house, it was given to me and just adding some context. Again, majority of Detroit um, in my lifetime has been pr predominantly black and for a lot of us, except for a few areas. And it was uh, a white gentleman who had bought this house. He, he lived in here for a couple of years. He did the basic just to be able to, uh, to get by. And he was catching you know, a little hell from from the from his neighbors where they were just harassing him, little, little little stupid stuff breaking in, and to the point where he just got demoralized. But in that process, he got aware of the work that we did. And so instead of leaving on a bad note, he was like, "Man, I appreciate what you're doing. Here, you can have this house." And like, I can have what? <laughs> and at the time, I was like, it was a good thing because the the urban network, the original urban network, was forced to close, which I was really down and sad. And like what I'm gonna do next, and then I realized like the the building may be closed, but the concept could fit here. So we went into work. Um, this has been a, a five year long process. Uh, we're not yet on our completion. We're looking to be open by the by the summertime. So. 
All right, and with that, introducing myself, Kari Frazier, uh, many people already familiar with Detroit is Different. This is also a public forum, so uh, many people are connecting. Uh, my work with Detroit is Different is connecting different people to a message of community and what community exists through this forum right here, podcasting, and speaking to podcasting. What is podcasting and how people connect to it is their own way. It takes place at the Detroit is Different Incubator. It is a home that I own and the home that I own is a space now that is exclusively for creating ideas and building content. Building that content um, from people's creativity is the perspective that it stands on. So connected to just Detroit is different now, it's many different podcasts where people have their own voices and platforms to express themselves in a way where they have conviction, that's what I, I stand on, and then believing in, and uh, definitely a perspective. And expanding this idea of not just something online, uh, it also has taken form in a festival that, that takes place now. Uh, actually, the guy that hosts in my community, Josh is here, that has the space, the Andy space, that is another community space uh, that we connect with. So the ways I connect with community in developing Detroit is Different, the incubator, is allowing people a place to express their voice through what I have a passion for, and that is media and creating content. And that moves us straight to the first question. In what ways should philanthropists and foundations partner in the community to, to build neighborhoods? Now, <clears throat> this is the first question we have, but let me give a little bit of context before we get into the first question. Uh, community development itself uh, defined as a process where community members come together to take collective action and generate solutions to common problems that exist inside the community. That's one definition. There's actually a whole course that uh, connects this and connecting to this course uh, through U of D Mercy. It's different ideas. Community development can both be an occupation and it also can be a way of volunteerism. Community development involves changing relationships between ordinary people and people in positions of power so that everyone can take part in issues that affect their lives. It starts from the principle that within any community, there's a wealth of knowledge and experience which is used in creative ways and can be channeled into collective action to achieve community's desired goals. Community development practitioners work alongside people in communities to help build relationships with key people and organizations to identify common concerns. So these are some of the things we're gonna talk about in this discussion. The problems that actually exist in a neighborhood and how you solve them, and then really how we even identify them. And the difference between the idea of resident inclusion versus a resident-led problem solution. So we're very aware of the challenges in many communities, especially communities like the city of Detroit. And when we talk about racial equity, a city with still over 80% black population, a lot of the community development led projects and partnerships, initiatives, programs, projects are not inclusive of the residents and many black people or black people that actually live inside these communities. So we see some of the challenges and a lot of this is a complete, whether it be through ignorance, whether it be through intentionality, misunderstandings of the diagnosis 
of how these are challenges and how people do live in these communities. Uh, question number one goes right into two of the primary, I guess, uh, people that provide or, or, or uh, targets of resources to address community development. And that is philanthropists and foundations. Many foundations take part and play out in a lot of the quote unquote community change and community development throughout the city of Detroit uh, and many cities alike. That's the first question that I have and I lay to you, Youssef. In what way should philanthropists and foundations partner in community development to build neighborhoods? Wow. So listening to your question, I immediately think about like development itself. Many people um, in neighborhoods have desired, prayed for, and dreamed about development. They, they, they welcome development. The problem in development that occurs is it has no community input. It's imposed upon the people. And it's imposed upon because of the, the dynamics around um, the the economics to it. I mean, community development is what it is. It's really a business. It's, it's a business opportunity to create wealth, and that wealth um, does not reflect the community. And versus, so for foundations and philanthropy, and even adding on co uh, corporations, they should come in with the, the from the position of recognizing those individuals who are there, their sweat equity, three, four, five generations is wealth. Mm -hmm. You should be able to honor and respect that. And and, and that should bright, invite people to the table. And and what happens though, they bring in the the the, the big planners with all these fancy words and and, and you know, three letters behind their name. And but again what what we don't like use in my neighborhood for example, um you see the 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 dilapidation, you see the the emptiness but what you don't see is the lack of the um, the deinvestment. There's been a series of deinvestment in this community that has contributed to the, the deterioration of the neighborhood. I mean, we had we had one of the, the strongest. I mean, you went there, Northwestern High School. It was one of the premier high schools in, in the city of Detroit, mm -hmm. probably in the state of Michigan, in terms yeah. of the what what it offered. You know that that was uh, scaled down. We have a middle school that was built in the well. We had a middle school that was built in the eighties that that now functioned as a, a police academy. No yeah. one in no one chose to come and knock on our door and say, "Hey, what do you guys think about us closing your middle school and we're gonna we're gonna turn into a police academy?" Our elementary school was closed. I mean all. All the, the the writing was on the wall in terms of de deteriorating um, or ex accelerating the de deterioration. Then on the on the the east end of our neighborhood, North, uh, Henry Ford Hospital has purchased majority of those properties, and they've created their own vision. Again, I, I talk about it very passionately. They're building. They're currently building a cancer center. I mean, everybody in this room has wrestled with cancer, ha or in, in terms of probably know a family member or friend who who has been impacted by it. But what but doesn't get discussed is the social cancer that they contribute. What I mean by the social cancer that they purchase homes that that they've allowed to sit there and, and brought down the quality of the community. And again, when you look at big business where it comes down, now they have the opportunity to purchase up these things. So even Henry Ford, like they there's some in their name, and then also they have they have small little companies. I mean, as a nonprofit organization that's that's in the medical field, you have a they have an urban planner. 
They also have a community liaison, and all, and, and which is again they're they're expanding their their outreach for their business that is excluding people. And you would you would think that would be counterproductive to the business that they're in, which is the health business. But you create because of their their their, their business practice of um, invading communities, they've created a hazard. So when you speak to this specifically, and this is uh, very specific, and we welcome anybody here, if you'd like to approach the microphone with a question or a comment, you're more than welcome now. But uh, Henry Ford is definitely something we can speak to in mm -hmm. the expansion of what's happening with Henry Ford and that partnership uh, with local government and even state government and federal government in some ways that has superseded the inclusion of many of the residents like your mother that have been here for generations. Uh, the next question in this becomes, how can residents hold organizations accountable for so racial that, equity? So that's a tricky question. And the reason I say it's a tricky, the answer to it is tricky because again, when you examine, um, again, when you look at this, this neighborhood specifically, I'm for I'll be 47 next next month. So when you look at in 47 years, our community, our neighborhood, more Pacific, is fractured. We've we've lost over 50% uh, of our population. Uh, we no longer have a serious population of homeowners. Uh, we if you if you remove the two apartment buildings out of our neighborhood, we we probably will have less than 1,500 people in the neighborhood. You know, again, we've always struggled with with employment. So all when you add all those things up. It it works it works against any ability to to organize because right now your your organizing is is centered around making sure you got lights on making sure again there's no more schools where your kids can just go walk to the school and come home now you gotta figure out how to get your kids half a mile away I mean also looking at, like there's there's no um, grocery store in 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 walking proximity I mean these are the challenges so so being able to uh, uh, stabilized, like we're, 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 our heart is beating so fast that we have to calm it down. And once we have to calm it down in terms of, you know, collectively gathering ourselves and creating values that we, 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 we see ourselves as a community because what happens, they, they pick us off. They'll come, hey, Kari, when I mean they, you're talking about organizations such as Henry Ford and, and, and others, they'll, they'll select you as the, as the leader. And because of your your interests, which is may not represent the interests of the community, it divides the community or the neighborhood. And these are some of the fun, fundamental things that we have to be, stop. So right now, what we're doing is, um, since because of the the annual backpack event, this is our 14th year doing it, and because of a lot of the different challenges and, and changes over the neighborhood, we created a um, a, a place where we're, we're bringing people together and and fundamentally, you know, drawing the line, you know, saying like. Through this process, the interests of our neighborhood should should, should uh, succeed any other thing. Like whatever I may do as an individual should not be greater than my neighborhood, and that's where fundamentally we can't hold anybody accountable until we get on the same page in terms of like we may we not we, we may not see the neighborhood the same, but we believe in our neighborhood and we want to we want better for our neighborhood. That is a common thing that we have to do, and so we become safeguards of our neighborhood and saying like we this is how we create racial uh, equity through racial healing a real uh, healing ourselves from the trauma because the the things that they've done has created trauma on top of trauma mm -hmm. and, and and until we able to heal ourselves then we can begin to 
organize ourselves as a body to talk about and, and challenge the system. All right. And then another one of the challenges that naturally presents itself is one of the arguments I always persist, uh, insist on presenting to people. It's the cultural differences, uh, the cultural differences of living in a community like this and the understanding of uh, what an urban plan looks like, how urban plans are developed. And then furthermore, how an urban plan is accepted. Oftentimes when we're thinking of this ideology, this ideology is groomed and presented in a perspective that all is disconnecting from racial equity immediately. The whole premise of most of these systems, when we think <coughs> of the development, city planning itself, uh, it's designed in inequality. It's, it's designed from the premise of systemic racism. Some would say, I would call it white supremacy, but the lens of even how we look at what would be beneficial and valuable to a community is not seen from a lens where the residents are drafting what's being created. It's academics, it's corporations, it's people that may be a part of communities, but are not looking from the heart of a community when they're deciding what should be a part of a community. So even the idea of the existence of one of the big discussions is like the bike lane discussion. And people are like, bike lanes can add to the quality of life because people should be riding bikes and it should be safe. But in a city like Detroit, there's so many people that take the bus and our bus stops have been in poor conditions for generations. So when a bike lane is given the money and green lit and, and found public private partnerships where millions of dollars can create these bike lanes and recondition how city roadways are, are running and even how traffic can flow. But people that take the bus and need to take the bus in a city that has had challenges of connected inequality for a busing system for generations. And then you'll deal with a snowstorm and it's barely one or two bus booths for, for miles. This is where residents feel left out and not included in it. So when you speak to residents holding these organizations accountable, what, what ways can residents even speak that same language? And should the onus even be on the, on the resident to learn these systems and learn the ways that the developers and the urban, urban planners are executing their plan? How do you make the planners and the developers actually ingratiate themselves with the culture of the community that they plan to enter instead of just executing what they want to do? I think fundamentally, we as community folks have to be willing to uh, rock the boat. And what I mean by rock the boat is develop a, a vision and plan that represents the true interests of our community and control the interests of our community by developing um, outcomes that's for our community, that's by our community. Too many of us are compromising our values, compromising our, our, our process to meet a, a demand that continues to op uh, oppress and, and exploit us. So, and what I mean by that is, um, the previous um, guy that was over the planner, I can't think of his name, that came from New, New Orleans, he had he had came across my name somehow, and he sent me an email like, I want to I want to meet with you. I'm like, sure, we can meet. And mm -hmm. I brought him here. And actually, this was it was 
a lot worse condition in terms of in the early stage. You know, just give them, like, this is what we're doing. This is our vision. You know, either you can support this or you know, I'll catch up with you when. And you know, walked. It was a summer day. Walked in through the neighborhood. Get, you know, give me a a, a a real visual. And walked in down to the gas station, and the little homies was in there. And that's what no, that's the hangout spot. And they was they was shooting dice, and I broke up their dice game to to have him talk. You know, the, the homies talk to him like, tell him what's going on. You know, in in in, in your way that that's comfortable to you. He almost shitted on himself because he, he's a fun one. We broke up the dice game, and he was like, what the hell. And and so being able to like, I don't I don't support that. However, I know that's who they are, and that's a part of the culture and the community right now. Yeah, and so so I was saying that culture is, is like listen to you talk and you know just me traveling abroad. These conditions that we're talking about are third world conditions, mm-hmm. third, you know, third world conditions in America, but we don't see it that way. And so and it's the same way. When when big corporations, you know, globally look like well, I'm gonna go to Ghana, I'm gonna go to South Africa, I'm gonna go to Palestine, and you no, know, we're gonna invest and we're gonna do such and such. It's the, it's the same process, and because it's at the end of the day, it's it's about a profit. So and, and we as individuals who have not had, we desire that ability to have that same profit, mm-hmm. but we don't realize that profit is at the expense of ourselves. At the expense of, of of selling off our neighborhoods, of selling off our own um, souls. I mean, when you look at these communities, these households, they was in our they was in our family um, history, right? You know, I, I mean, that's one of the reasons. Like, I love this block. That's why I love I love this community because this this is my grandfather. Mm-hmm. I mean, to 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 walk away from this is the is to like kind of turn my back on my grandfather a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's how much it, it it means to me in in the grand scheme of of things. And, and but growing up urban, we don't necessarily associate it with in the, in the same way like if we if we live down south and we've gotten away from. And so the more we we get back to those roots, the ability where we can begin to to create the safeguard of 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 holding um, ourselves accountable to holding others accountable. So so. The onus is on us in the sense of we, this is where we live. We can have a quality community. We can have – we had that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, go back 60, 70 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. it, this this was booming. Mm-hmm. Why was booming? Because we, we, all we had was each other. But we, we, once we began to, to grow outside of our communities, we, we relinquished our ability to control the interests of our community. Okay, and you spoke on a time when you talk about 60, 70, 80 years ago when segregation forced uh, a calcification of all, I guess, uh, caste systems of the black community that existed. Uh, There was a more close-knit black community where a doctor would, though being black, was forced to live next to the the guy that didn't have a job. Right, right, right. So uh, when we speak of the the resources existent in a segregated black community having some economic advantages comparable to a community that's no longer segregated uh, in necessarily um, like I guess I would say it's not segregated from the lens of the the physical sense mm-hmm. but the economic sense it, in a lot of ways many of those resources, 
don't even exist for the same business people and for, for people to decide, as you talked on, the outcomes for communities, outcomes by communities, making these plans of what's desired and dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily just welcoming community development because it looks like a good idea, but also necessarily making sure that community development fits into what a plan of a community is as opposed to designing something that is orchestrated from a premise in a classroom or in a corporation or in the minds of someone that has never walked the blocks of that neighborhood itself. Right. Um, next question goes into something big in community development Uh, when most people think of community development a lot of the roots go back to the block grant programs community block grants a lot of people always say that Uh, most times when people walk into the Detroit is different incubator the very first thing they say is who gives you money for this and I always tell them I pay for this. And they're like, what do you mean? It's like my business pays for the Detroit is different incubator, meaning that I am an entrepreneur and I fund my venture project that is a community project because it's important for me. I don't have any granting. I don't have any uh, scholarships. I don't have any outside uh, interests. Anyone that has invested in it is someone that has invested because of a personal relationship directly. Now, Am I against granting? Am I against scholarships? Am I against uh, any of that support? Not necessarily, but that's just not a lane that I found successful to pursue for Detroit is different. Uh, But one of the number one things that I've always been told is it's as easy as pie. Just get a community block grant. Community block grants are programming that started from HUD. And this kind of goes back into the whole concept of urban and urban planning. And I think urban for a long time as it's existed, kind of going to the comedy of uh, of George Carlin, urban is like an AKA word for black or brown, but primarily black. So the whole idea of we're gonna help urban communities is like a, a, a indirect way where people think you're saying black and it'll be understood as you're gonna help black people. But in reality, HUD, and urban planning and urban development has been so disassociated from actually improving black communities that it is one of the trigger words that I think actually people in communities get afraid of nowadays. And when we think about the community block grants and the process of even what decides how community block grants are uh, doled out, uh, how an organization qualifies for these, uh, it's very, it, it can become, It's a process. It's a process where many organizations and communities are already going to have to welcome outside help, outside assistance to receive this grant. And furthermore, executing that grant, you're going to probably have to get other outside assistance. Uh, So here's a classic example of what can happen. Let's say um, you have community organization A. Community organization A is like, wow, we're doing something great in the community. And it's like, you can get some granting options. And it's like, wow, that's dope. Please give me some granting options. Community organization A wins $25,000. And it's like, for real, I got $25,000? How do I execute this $25,000? Well, you have to go through our fiduciary. The fiduciary is like, okay, we'll give you this funding and you can spend this funding based upon these limited vendors, based upon the vision of your business plan, based upon you fitting the premise of how we design everything. So the qualifications 
move that organization, community group A, further and further and further away of whatever that intention could be. Whether it be to build a community playground, whether it be to start a recreational center, a computer program, a, an inventor's lab, an arts program, it could be whatever. It's like, I, I just really wanna do art. I never wanted to get into the design of urban planning and bringing lawyers and architects and, and designers into my mix. I know they play a role, but they don't play as important of a role as actually executing the work itself. And that has been one of the biggest challenges when it comes to some of these block grants and government assistance and government programming that people talk to. It's not just that the qualifications take the community away, but as the community organizations connect themselves to the qualifications, it takes the community away from the work. So the same way I asked you the question for the philanthropist and foundations, now I flip and ask the question of what role should the government in HUD play being included in community development that's residential and racially equitable? Uh, how can residents hold government organizations accountable at, for racial equity? So when, when I think of this, I'm gonna jump on this question first, and then I'm gonna have Youssef uh, be a part of this question next, as we handling community work right now. So um, helping the community. Youssef's <laughs> always like, if, if you come to the Urban Network, and, that, and that's the break that people saw as, as Josh came, but uh, <laughs> most of the work done here at the Urban Network is done by people that live in the, ne in the neighborhood. Some people that have lived here for generations that just know Yousef. So most of this work, even the creativity of if you see the doors as a ceiling, it's like a, a, a ceiling of doors. That's community creativity that connects to the community. But what role should the government and HUD play being included in community development that's residentially and racially equitable? I think it's, it's the same as we, we addressed around philanthropy and, and foundation. I mean, any any true change starts from the from the bottom. It doesn't start from the top. Again, you know, we, if we assess the people who, who are living there, um, they they have bright ideas. They they're they're brilliant, but because of their 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 circumstances, you know, we we place this privileged value on on folks who have more access to resource, more access to so-called knowledge, and it's really a, a very sophisticated game. Because basically, what you're talking about, I remember. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the, the empowerment zone, like that was very, that was real hip. That was, mm -hmm. was, was created to where, where it, it determined what neighborhoods was getting access to resources. Next. Which, yeah, you know, Quote which, unquote. in which also it ties, it ties into, to foundations and, and, um, and philanthropy. But I mean, you, you would think based upon the, like the physical look of zone eight, it will be at the top of the list of an empowerment zone. It never, it never hit, the, the notice of being an apartment zone within the 40 years. So not being an apartment zone, we never really had a nonprofits. So the anchor of this community, anchors of other communities began to, to crumble. So as they began to crumble and not having access to, to government assistance, but besides you know, creating plans that was pushing people out, it, it, it created what, what, what we see. I mean, this is where, like, when we talk about capitalism, that's what I'm saying. Community development is, is a capitalist business, and it puts it puts a value on property versus a value on people. 
And when we put a value on people and associate that to property, it's a it's a win-win situation. Because fundamentally, what's the point of having property if you have no people or the people who live there can't even afford to live there? Mm-hmm. You know, so, and then race and class, and particularly in, in the countries such as America, has been so intertwined in how how we live. Or, or, or let me correct myself, how many of us have survived. So if I don't have uh, a, a stable job, if I don't have a, a, a stable um, credibility of knowing someone, it, it, I'm, on, I'm on the ass out looking in on, on the situation. So, again, and we know in terms of uh, HUD and, and corporate, uh, uh, government, you know, a lot of, I mean, we, we see now backdoor deals, but back, backdoor deals have been going on for long, long periods of time. And in many of these, these neighborhoods, it's, it's like a 50-year, 60-year plan. And we, we as a community are just now catching up to, like, what the hell? Like, you've been telling me you've been planning this for 50 years? <laughs> and and the, um, the unfortunate reality is, like, like Henry Ford, like we've been banging on their door, like, hey, let us in, let us in. We want to know what's going on. Show us the blueprints. And they'll show us a, a period. They'll show us, a, a, you know, where they the dotted the T. But they're not, they're not revealing everything. But then your representative of, of, of your of the politician, they're picking and choosing who are coming to the table, and then, so so it's such a, a rat race, and, and and the rat race is about because uh, we live in we live in a, in a country where power and privilege are tied together, and, and we all want to be recognized in some type of way, but at what expense is my question, and while. Why are we not representing our community? Why are we not representing like every? It's such a cliche now. Like I'm fighting for the people. I represent the people. Well, you never with the people. And that brings to the question that I definitely want to open up to the floor because government officials, I, I look at it. It's a little bit different. Should it fall in a different boat because they're elected through the people? And a philanthropist or a foundation can hide behind the veil of this is my own independent passion. This is what I choose to green light. This is this is what I support. As a philanthropist, I, I support all people that, you know, live on this side of town, people maybe with this ailment or people with this passion. Uh, and a government agency has a different onus in reference to how they connect Two people. And let me just cut you off real quick. Um, well, two miles, by two, half, two and a half miles from here, you have Durfield um, Elementary School, mm-hmm. which was was given to a, a white nonprofit for a dollar. Durfee, Durfee. Yeah, Durfee. 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 It was given to a... a Connected to Central? Yes. Mm-hmm. To, to an outsider community to, for a dollar. And there's been, there's been many cases, many situations in the city of Detroit where big big businesses they're they're getting at first access a first grant, um, appeal to, to 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 property again people who've been living there mm-hmm. who ask for equity I can tell you my homeboy got you know shot there or yeah. when I was a little kid I was drunk I mean we, we have these memories right that, that shape us and which brings a different form of equity and we we don't get the the same access because I believe I'm over there on seven mile uh, UAD Jesuit was given a, a property where people in the community was fighting for the same property. Mm-hmm. But again, when we talk about race and class, this is how it plays out. And then you're like, oh, you just, there you go talking that race stuff. That's what it is. Like we, we, we are, my, my value as, as a member of this community is, is, is not the same as someone else in terms of, of because of their whiteness, because of their privilege status. 
I definitely want to open this up. I don't know who <laughs> wants to speak on this. I'm looking right at Jay. But that role of philanthropist foundation versus government when it comes to community development, I think someone else should add in this discussion. So I don't know who's going to be the first person to grab that mic that's sitting right there. Like I say, I'm leaning on Jay. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Jay, Jay's fades. Um, you can take the mic with you because it can pass it. You can pick it up, take it with you. Um, entrepreneur, a lot of community work, uh, definitely. So, so the question originally was, The question originally was, in what way should philanthropists and foundations partner in community development to build neighborhoods that are residentially and racially equitable? So it's like, should the philanthropist and a foundation be held to a different standard versus the government agency that's looking at community development? So when you say the community working with those groups, this is where like I guess I could look at the politician I have a say in. A foundation, how much do I have a say in that foundation? Uh, the, the philanthropist, how much do I have a say in that foundation? And you said you started this with kind of where Yousef was going, that it needs to be led it, by working with the community itself. Whereas I guess I'm still under the veil and this may be very optimistic that can the elected official be considered part of the community themselves because they were elected quote unquote by the community. So with any initiative by that elected. That's very interesting because uh, when you look at the political realm, most people are aware that it's vested interest 
from parties that the community might not be aware of, right? So in that space, there is a disconnect because they are, I guess, pulling uh, interest from areas that the community might not be aware of. So when you ask those type of questions that's really complex, I don't believe you'll get the type of answer that you're wanting, right? So for example, it would almost be if we are working together and we're looking at it from a percentage standpoint, you know, what percent of growth can you bring to the table versus uh, you said, you know what I'm saying? Versus myself. And I'm not sure that we can qualify or quantify those things because we haven't started the work. So, so how are you creating a question that has no accountability factor in it, but yet you still want to see how to hold one accountable in that question? And I think what what I, I agree with, with everything that you're saying, in particular when you say it's padded, right? And so to to remove some of the layers to understand it, when we look at or how we've been conditioned to look at philanthropy, foundations, and politicians, they're 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 rooted in privilege. They're rooted in power, and because of their privilege and power, we're conditioned to to automatically think that they can save us that they can solve this problem because of they have because of their access. So it's like coming down and we're going to pull, bring everything together. So that's where it's like in the in the real world like we need everybody, right? We need each other. That's where it's complex. For the most part, I mean, again, I mean, in, in this conversation, you could go from community to youth to on down the road because it, it all intersects. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And it's, and as I'm going through some of the technical, like getting it tight, it's like, man, I definitely want to throw one more question your way in reference to this whole idea of how that accountability looks because that's the second part of this question. Uh, it's, how can residents hold government organizations accountable for residential and racial equity uh, when it comes to community development? In what ways can residents do yeah, that? So that's interesting because it's almost like a parent trying to hold a child um, accountable for being successful. Mm -hmm. So in that relationship, keyword there, relationship, right? Um, it's going to be some um, information handed down. And it's going to be some uh, support along the way, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I think the base of that question is almost like hope, right? So I hope that something can happen, right? So for me, I don't necessarily um, live my life in that space about hoping and, and maybe and kind of sort of and, and what do you think those types of, uh, um, I guess, areas of understanding. For me, it's more about getting active um, and, and taking action 
opposed to asking for support, if that makes sense, right? So um, when when you speak to how can we hold people accountable, um, if me and you in a room and I'm asking you to pick up some trash and you, you say, Jay, I don't pick up trash, and then we get into this long dialogue about, well, why don't you pick up the trash? Wouldn't my energy be more effective by just picking the trash up? You know what I mean? And and he went into something that definitely kind of goes into a lot of some of the work that I've done and Yousef has done. And that's taking on the onus of community development and the vision of it intrinsically and not even necessarily looking at some of what have been presented as resources for this work and saying intrinsically if it's outside of the scope of the people I've connected with the organizations I've connected with or the work I've already done if this is outside of the work and the volition of the work I've done then I'm not even going to put the energy in it and uh and that I guess, uh, and I don't know if even somebody else wants to speak to this, but you may be able to speak more to this too. Uh, with that type of thought process becomes if an organization and a team of people feel as though um, feel as though uh, we, we can go for this block grant. We can talk to these philanthropists. We can uh, work and, and we can do our work in a different way by a different means and it can be more effective because you may be working with a group of people it can take you outside that scope so that group of people may send you in a direction that seeks you asking that person to pick up that piece of paper if that is the mission so i know you have a point um so i was listening to everything um that was said and um i think it's definitely a, a layered uh, discussion and also grappling with our current social and political climate in the city. Um, mm -hmm. We have um, administration that thinks we have an administration that thinks their plan is the best and in terms of the things that they want to implement like bike lanes and streetscapes and things like that and that's not necessarily reflective of what our community actually needs. And so these developers, they bring in different teams or whatever, and they have these meetings, a series of meetings that I've gone to, particularly in my neighborhood, but the actual community input that was given is actually, isn't really in the plan when it comes down to it. So then it comes, what was the purpose of having these series of meetings if you were just gonna go about the plan that you wanted to do in the first place, making it a walkable neighborhood? And also thinking about all these different banks and corporations starting these neighborhood strategic funds and these different quote unquote quote, empowerment zones or hot, na hot neighborhoods um, and what's their true intention? Some of them, they say, well, I have a connection to this community that goes back or 
my family, whatever. And this white savior kind of complex it comes usually comes from. And and I want you to speak a little bit more and share your opinion on this. But to that, uh, along with block grants, you have community development financial institution funds. So CDFIs, uh, one of the strongest here is the Detroit Development Fund and also First Independence. And these play as a generating economic growth model. Uh, connected to some of the same ideas and ideology behind block grants, but more so to strategically offer loan and business assistance to jumpstart economic initiatives in these different communities. Uh, And that is very abundant throughout the city of Detroit, kind of in conjunction with not just banks, but institutions serving in a banking capacity, exactly like what you said. So some of the interest is the interest that they've had. Uh, If you can go on the website for CDFI, you'll see the millions of dollars that has not just come in Detroit, but throughout Michigan connected to this programming. And then also find a little bit of the information around the guise of how they decide to dictate how this money is lent. I can speak to a little bit of how the Detroit Development Fund looks at issuing uh, granting dollars in support of business because I've seen some of their applications. And to me, um, it's just, if you can receive a loan from the DDF, you could probably get a loan from Bank of America. Uh, The premise at which they have it Uh, knowing that they're taking the funds from a different uh, pool of money that is associated with the government, I I think it's not directly impacting and changing uh, the, the, the scope of communities like mine. Uh, First independence has access to a lot of these funds as well. Um, And it's like what Yusef said, community development is a business. It's a tool of capitalism. What's your opinion when it comes to uh, the ways that maybe these organizations can look at uh, being open to being community led? Well, I'm seeing a good example in my neighborhood. Um, I live in Old Refer, um, and um, it's a kind of a mix because you have uh, Peter Cummins in the platform that's developing part of Grand River um, that's investing $3.5 million in that um, corridor between Grand River and Lawser. Um, but the work as far as the construction and things like that is being led by a community group, uh, Motor City Blackbusters. So that's unique in that case. And a lot of the volunteer, well, a lot of the people um, that work with them uh, live within that community. Um, so uh, to have them do that contracting, starting out work, um, I think is good. Um, as far and then also Flagstar Bank has committed uh, five million dollars, a million dollars each year for the next five years uh, to the community. Um, is with that with that grant and um, right now I'm actually in the process of starting a uh, Northwest Detroit Community Development uh, Corporation for uh, O Refer. Uh, we're gonna work with a number of the surrounding um, neighborhoods to kind of attract more and. Uh, more of those dollars around those uh, community-led projects that I know that's going on. So that's a process um, 
but I'm 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 hopeful. Um, but beyond just being hopeful, I think you just have to make sure that you uh, that you're like that you are getting your voice out there. Like um, they're revisiting the community benefits ordinance because a lot of those projects are coming into the neighborhoods and so the threshold so they have to revisit the whole community benefits ordinance and if we don't show up to the city council meetings and don't put our input out then it won't be reflective of what the community wants to see in terms of when they when corporations and things like that comes to our neighborhood for new development and you spoke to something I was just about to get to with the community benefits ordinances that do exist. Uh, it's an article in today, January 21st, 2020, Curb Detroit, talking directly about that and more so the, the lack of accountability and also the lack of enforcement that the community benefits ordinances can play out. Uh, also the appointment of these people to these boards being inclusive of city council or government influence as well, which could be questionable. But this goes into the idea of that accountability. How do you, how do you hold some of this work accountable? Uh, and then this this is the question I, I posed back to Youssef when it, if a plan and a vision were developed for a community by the people in the community, uh, how is that drafted? Who are the people that are are in in the making of that? Is that changed around? Is it an organization? Is it a church? Is it a person? Uh, is it a neighborhood association? What? What are the ways that that the community can have a plan and instead of trying to fit a plan into an idea to get some money to pursue resources, whether it be money or uh, jobs or whatever other resource, solar power, you know, uh, greening energy fit into the plan of the community as opposed to the opposite? But what has to happen at the, in, in the beginning is our commitment to our community, first and foremost. Our commitment to our neighborhood, first and foremost. I mean, we, we may not agree ideology-wise, but within that framework, so again, so some folks want gardens, right? So you, you, you're the gardener. You know, some folks want a doghouse. You're the dog. I mean, but it's all fitting within the neighborhood within the context of committing to our community, because if we don't, we'll get picked off. Because what happens is the big corporations will come in and buy jail. They'll come in and they'll, they'll buy me off. Not literally, but in the sense of they'll get behind his idea to support their interests. I mean, case in point, we talk about the community benefit agreement. Uh, Detroit People's Platform, they had one that was you know, really representing the people, and then the mayor and some other folks, their community benefit agreement got approved, which didn't represent the people. So, so fundamentally, we have to get back and do the, the legwork of doing grassroots organizing. Grassroots does not mean what it used to mean. It, it's something else nowadays. 
And so what happened on, 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 at this level, we're, we're being picked off. We're, we're, we're more excited about um, you know, seeing our names in the paper. We're more excited about seeing our faces on TV than really representing the interests of, of the people. Where, where we're trying to be heroes than versus being a real activist, being a real organizer. Always saying those issues and putting the issues of, of the people before our own. Again, I mean, like, question, you have to question everything. Question the, the, the integrity. I mean, you, you, you Harrison mentioned uh, the Motor City Blightbuster, right? I forget the guy who runs that, right? He, he, he has a, a, a great relationship in, in, this, in this city. And because of his white privilege, he gets access to a lot of dollars. Millions of dollars. And that particular your community, him and his organization owns a lot of property in their community. You know, you know, like, like in my community, there, there, there's, there's a black family, there's, there's a black and a half. They own a nice junk of this in our pro uh, in this community, but they're saying they're community. How can you be community as, as individual? But you're saying that you're community. You're, 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 and, and these are things that we have to begin to, to disconnect, to be able to connect to the people in the true interests of, of the people. Because at the end of the day, when, when we think about capitalism, we think about white supremacy, these are values. And these, and these, this value system has infiltrated us, and, it, and it's like, and it, and it functions like a sleeping cell. What I mean by sleeping cell, again, many of us have, have been without. And so when the opportunity to have, and you just, the, the itch, you know, when you see some money, you're like, damn, I didn't know I would do that. Because it's just so rooted in you. You know, we all get tempted. And, and that's, that's where the, the theory, theory, I mean, I've had so many, man, you said, no, try to pull me from the pack. What you want? I don't want nothing, man. Don't do for my community. Don't do for me. And this is, no, even to our vision, like, so many people have told us with this vision and what we have here, like, absolutely, why would you do that? Because I think that this is my community. This ain't, this ain't for me. We don't, we don't have a community center. So why, so why not turn the house? house? No, we, we had to think, um, to reimagine what, what 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 the world could be. But to reimagine what the world could be, we have to reimagine who we are. And, and fundamentally, that's you know, what King said: the radically changing our value system, radically changing how we see the world. And, and once we do that, then because it's like over on the east side, that, that, that uh, business that bought up a lot of property, so they're gonna they're gonna plant trees. The community's like, oh, we, we don't want to do that. But because of their interest, and, and, and we see time and time and time again with city, with city council, they're voting in the interest of business. They're voting in the interest of corporation when the people who elected them say, no. And then those individuals who are, who are like, don't want to necessarily be called out, they, they, they missed the day, which is really like a vote, like a yes anyway, because you didn't vote no. I'll say one more last thing. Um, you, you're yeah. right about that. Um, I'm thinking back to um, you said earlier about uh, elected officials being a part of the community development. And um, I recently think about uh, my state rep, Sherry Dagan Yogo. She um, had purchased two homes to give to community members. And we had been, work, had been working on it over the course of the years and had... Um, people in the different unions helping um, restore these houses to give away. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, without notice, the demolition tore down the, tore down the house from the city. And from her track record, it was probably because she stood up against the mayor on a number of things. 
And I just was like, that's that's wild that and he's like actually said too, like, since you don't want to vote on with me against like with the car insurance, which that's interconnected with this too, but all of that, but he was like, I'm gonna have people run against you because you're not representing my interests. And she's representing the interests of the people because she know it wasn't a good thing. And I was just like, that's that is, you know, crazy that that's a real life example of like if you not if you if you don't vote or rub shoulders with the right person or do what they want to do, they can abuse their power like that. Uh, definitely, this current mayoral uh, mayoral office administration. Uh, it's many people that have uh, that that call to question the ethics when it comes to the way that uh, many property policies are enacted. And that can be to uh, what's happening with the taxation of people's properties, what's happening with the, uh, the tax abatements, meaning the, the taxes that many, uh, quote unquote, corporate investors, developers, uh, actually are paying into the city and also the just the programming of how development is designed in the city of Detroit in this quote-unquote new Detroit uh, there are many benefits you spoke to Durfee but not just Durfee I mean when, when we look at some of the some of the holdings and the offerings of uh, wonderful architecture and a beautiful stock of property that was handed out to uh, to many corporations uh, and the tax abatements and the taxes that are, don't need to be paid for, for generations. You know, it's uh, in some ways um, disheartening as an entrepreneur those opportunities. But this is the system we're breaking down. This That system that we're breaking down of systemic racism white supremacy like it it is intrinsically uh what was always there um some of the the design events of um of the ways that uh that that community uh you know the roads in the traffic systems are designed uh, like this is this is constant. One of the big things that many people have talked about is uh, the redevelopment of Livernois and what's happened on Livernois. Uh, one of the big questions was why was a median put in the middle of Livernois in the first place for many residents? And then after why the median was put in the middle of Livernois and we got a, a Livernois business person actually about to speak on Jay. I know. Yeah. Now comes. Yeah. So, so guys, you say y'all want me to talk about some of this stuff, right? <laughs> okay. All right, Jay. If you pay attention to the to the dialogue, it's kind of going right back to me a little. Okay. So, I own a, a business on Living Noise. Um, so, how long you been on the business over there? Uh, since 2005. Uh, uh, Jay'sFades.com here in the Nail Salon. Yeah. So please don't knock my building down, uh, <laughs> Mr. Mayor. <laughs> If that is true, right? Okay. So, uh, so to my understanding, um, when I got there, we were holding meetings, and I believe Kwame Kilpatrick had money left to develop boulevards. So he was using the money um, to develop more 
of a walking environment similar to your Ferndale and your Royal Oak, right? And it was a process that's phased out, right? So when I say phase, meaning that's phases, right? Okay. So they changed the speed limit to help increase what is considered a walking environment because a lot of people were actually just quickly driving past um, the businesses and not able to see what was available for that community, right? So they are now widening the street and creating um, what now seems to be uh, a little more walking friendly type of environment. And they've expanded the sidewalks. Right. Immensely. Right. So it's still like a two, it's still essentially the two lane Livernois. Right. But just instead of the median being in the middle of the street, it's almost like they split the median to the sides of the street. Right. So you can be in the conversation in the space of just seeing what's taking place mm -hmm. and be opinionated from that standpoint. You can be in a conversation where you understand some of the process mm -hmm. um, and the community is in many parts of that conversation. The conversation that I'm in is let's get actively involved in participating in the things that we want to create. You know what I mean? Um, I think a lot of times people like to have stuff to chew on, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, for me, it's really about, you know, it's business over there. So while we're talking about the street, which we put energy into talking about the street, why aren't we having a conversation about the businesses that's on the street? You know what I'm saying? And it's a choice. And so how did you feel as many of the businesses, I guess, were north, uh, near Seven Mile, mm -hmm. this summer through the construction, um, rallied together, uh, actually took some funding from the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation to do some ad campaigns. Some of the businesses shortened their days. Some of the businesses are saying they may even go out of business to the business that they lost during that time. Uh, all connected to that idea of, like you say, like, how do you shift the focus from what happened to the business itself? Okay, so so the question was, how do I feel about yes. that? Yes. Right, so I got to watch you because you're so good, champ. Like you, we have four of them. So, um, so I feel great, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I'll use an analogy. I had opportunities to speak with Dick Gregory um, and the conversation that me and him had was, I said, you know, Mr. Gregory, how do you feel about, you know, our, our city? He said, young man, it was a time where if you told people that was riding horses, that they're not gonna be riding horses no more, they're gonna be in cars, they look at you like you crazy. So that kind of stuck with me, right? Cause it's all about perspective. Some people are used to, um, their past and what they've experienced and not necessarily interested in embracing or creating an opportunity to do something differently. <clears throat> now going back to Livernois specifically and um, my thought about the businesses and hearing uh, what they were talking about, 
when you start to uh, have a desire to speak to policy, I've noticed the ignorance as it pertains to the ask, right? So <clears throat> sometimes the community believe that they can ask certain questions to people who is perceived of power based upon their title, but they aren't aware of how much power that individual or title has. Mm -hmm. You got that? Okay. Yeah. So I think sometimes people are spending energy in areas. Historically, it has not helped them, if that makes sense. Yeah. So um, I don't know what all is taking place, um, but I know uh, Roy McAllister's over there doing some great work. Um, I did have opportunity to, uh, opportunity to sit in on uh, one of the meetings. <clears throat> and um, I don't know if uh, the viewers know, but we actually had young people to write into the, the Charter Commission by way of Reggie Reg Davis, which created policy where young people could be present um, as well as an elderly person by district that will work along with the city council members, right? I believe if we um, activated those uh, policies that we can create a different dialogue and a different approach when it comes to activating our communities um, just that way. So that's quickly my little two cents about that. I hope that answered yeah. the question. Definitely. Um, and, and this kind of circles back to empowerment and self-reliance of the people in the community um you spoke on this a lot today you you offered a lot in this vision um we have some other people in the crowd that own spaces you know you want them josh um uh i i i want uh i want to open the floor in reference to some of these same questions but really the last thing is resident led versus resident inclusion is it a difference so i'm gonna put that to you first and how do both work in unison uh can they work in unison uh should it be inclusion sometimes should it be led what what's that vision when it comes to community development yusuf absolutely there's a difference between a resident-led and resident inclusion. Uh, I think like, like substituting the word community for the word neighborhood. You know, I want neighborhood is like this. We're in a neighborhood, and we tend to we tend to we talk about neighborhood, but we're saying community. And community is a larger space. Like when you cross the boulevard, it's a separate neighborhood. It's another community, and we assume that all communities are the same. And all people are the same, and they're not. So once we can be able to pull that up, then that helps us address the dynamics that that, that exist, and, and and allows us to you know pull our, pull ourselves together. And I think fundamentally, overseeing the country that we live in, there's a lot of disparity around race, around gender, around class, and et cetera. And then, and we start from there. 
this is how we get to heaven. This is how we get to heaven. This is how we transform and, and deconstruct the realities, the social realities. Like the politicians that say private, yeah, I, I agree with you, it's racism. I agree with you, blah, blah, blah. But publicly, they're on a whole other page. You know, they, you know, they function and, and think the same, same thing with uh, philanthropies and, and foundations. So um, you know, getting people to agree to a certain certain levels of values, um, again, you know, I mean, all of us in this room probably play the Monopoly multiple times in our life. You know, some of us may have a few nightmares from it, right? But I have a nightmare because in reality, I see Monopoly here in Detroit. The fact that you have two, two corporations that own all of downtown, basically, the Illages and uh, Dan, Dan Gilbert. You know, this is like Boardwalk and Park Place in real life. And when you get, when you get down there, you're like, can I board this? Is this, is this really for me? And this is where, like, we're it's, it's excluding a large segment of people. I mean, I remember you know, living on the northwest side of, of town, and I could catch the bus or ride my bike to the northwest movie theater, or go to, to Mercury movie theater. Or when I lived over here, I would go down to Adams Theater. There's, there's no movie theater. You know, there's no, nothing for you know, young folks or old folks. You know, so we're, we're trapped in our oppression. We're trapped in, in, in this daily life, a cycle of, you know, we gotta go to the gas station to buy quality shit, which is not quality at all. You know, we got we can't, we can't, you know, even though there's a Myers on eight mile, or there's a Myers on six mile, but there, you know, there, that's, it's, there's no inclusion for a certain amount of people to really get there to, to experience the quality of the, the things that they have that's better than the same lot, that's better than these other little stores that we are forced to go to um, from social engineering. And so, you know, even like we talk about on living noise, like I love what's going over there, but in reality, can, can the folks in this community get there? So how do, how do we create parity for our community where it doesn't feel like that's a privilege? And in reality, everybody doesn't have that privilege to experience everything equally because of, we don't have the same income. So, how do, so that's where values come into place and fundamentally, this is how we transform how we operate, how we think by supporting people in our community and looking at them as, as equity of themselves because of the history and their, and, and, and their generations of being in the community. And in that goes a, a partnership in my own community. Uh, the Detroit is Different Festival took place at the Andy Space, which uh, is definitely one of the people behind the vision of that. It's Josh. Uh, we met through the connection of uh, Stephanie, who's another neighbor in our in our neighborhood, but community, as I, I'm always using the term in this discussion. Uh, what what is it like for you uh, when you think about resident led versus resident inclusion, and then also the partnership that we share and we're growing, connecting the Andy and Detroit is different, that is independent of philanthropist, government, or a foundation? Yeah, um, well, a little bit of background. Um, I'm kind of like a typical story of a guy from New York, came here, got a big building in Detroit, and thinking of doing, you know, opening an art center. So this, this is the narrative that a lot of people will hear and speak back to me. Um, that's sort of my biography. I think it's a little more complex, but in the end, 
we'll see what proof is in the pudding in 10 years, what, what happens to the space. Um, that's a good segue into what is uh, resident-led. Um, we've been asking that question. Um, I would say that it takes work, like this gentleman is doing, to create a resident-led platform. Like it takes people going door to door, getting people to meetings, talking about what kind of um, art program in our situation, or we have all this uh, empty retail space on Fankel that we would love to um, collaborate with an entrepreneur to open, uh, uh, to try to revive some commercial on Fankel. Um, but that, that's really work. It's like getting out and doing and calling meetings and like we're here, like we're here tonight. And most days I spend like on my roof patching roofs. And so I, I sometimes feel like I can't manage that process of like, um, of community development of like, moving forward like asking that question of like how can this uh building lead towards uh development in the fankel dexter area and and racial healing like how can that happen like i'm deeply invested in that question in our process of development um but i definitely need help and collaborators and car you've um you know i'm glad we've begun this uh, partnership and you know it, we're kind of we're in it for the long term so we're trying to go slow and just gradually open that building so it feels uh, welcoming to the community or to the neighborhood um, but I, also, I, have, I also wanted to say that the neighborhood is also not like it's among themselves they're not necessarily in agreement about what they want or what how they see their neighborhood so that complicates mm -hmm. like that a lot too for me like oh we're i mean first like everybody for example in my streets like 100 percent behind dugan so like i hear a lot of different mm -hmm. messages about what development would look like what you know or like so but in the end i feel like i'm i just me and my partner Laura is we we just gonna keep listening, and just trying to keep making that space uh, welcoming, safe and affordable. You know that's sort of our short term goal. And that's um, the other question that I have. Do you have a different? Uh, I, I think that one of the differences is because you live in the community and live in that neighborhood. It changes the perspective of how you see it. Uh, and that's one of the biggest things that I stand on. A lot of people that look to do some of this work don't live in the neighborhoods that they're planning to do the work in. And I believe that definitely changes the perspective as we have another comment now in it. So uh, I don't know if you want to add to that or if we can pass the mic, but I definitely think that changes a lot of the perspective of how a person sees it. Yeah, it's a... It's essential because you you literally get to know your neighbors. Unless you know your neighbors, you can't be part of the community. 
You know, you're not part of a neighborhood unless you know your neighbors. Mm -hmm. There is no neighborhood unless people know each other. So, but there's a lot of fear in our neighborhood, you know, about just meeting each other. And what what was news to me is that um, Focus Hope, they, they host something called the takeover. And the takeover is simply to occupy a corner on Fenkel and eat hamburgers and gives give kids balloons for me coming there i was i didn't understand this but then i come to understand that all those neighbors they don't feel safe standing on the corner so so meaning like there's lots of faith there's lots of building to do in that neighborhood mm. to sort of make people feel like they want to be there and they want to sort of positively express their desires for the future mm. you know so, some thoughts. Okay. I am contemplating not saying anything because I don't want to start speaking in a mystical language because I do believe a lot in that. Um, but what I want to say is, I have so many things going on in my mind and I was trying to remember everything so I can make address everything. But um, as far as these are my ideas. As far as being the recipient of grants and sponsorships and those things like that, from what I've experienced, from what I've seen, it's like you need to have someone of privilege on your team. And then it almost has to be an illusion that they're running things. And then you can um, have the doors open easier as far as receiving the capital that you may need for this project or that project. Other than that, if you're trying to um, do this thing as a community, as a, a neighborhood, I think what matters most um, is unity in numbers. So, um, and it's pretty hard to get that lately because I think the one thing that we may share in this room is our perspective about life and how we see life for ourselves, right? And for ourselves mean, meaning where we live, the places that we go, how we would like them to look, how we would like to experience them. Does everyone in your neighborhood have that same desire or even vision? How do they see themselves first and foremost? And that would be the determining factor as to if they will be a part of an organization that will show up to community meetings or um, go to this place or that place in order to be heard, um, in order to ask for what it is that you need to get your project off the ground or even finished. Um, so I think this issue is greater than we had anticipated when it comes to getting us to come together for a common cause and, um, and not easily bought off, as one of you has said, for individual cause once we get to um, that to the, to the position of being in front of a person with influence or with capital or power, you know, we can easily lead the group 
So, um, and, and something you said, Jay, about you really don't go towards or lean towards the side of hope, having hope in a lot of things, but you're more action-oriented. And I think the two go together because you can't have hope without action, right? So you think you can? Well, I think that when you think you can't, you can hope first and then try second. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. But I think it's a principle that faith, which is hope without works, is dead. Yes. But I think they go together. I know. I know. I know. I know. I, know. I just wanted to say. <laughs> so I think um, I'm finished because I lost my. Train of thought. <laughs> no, nah, we, we appreciated what you said. Um, I don't know. You, oh, please speak. Yeah, so um, I'm actually um, revisiting. I'm, uh, I just came from um, overseas, and now I'm back here in the States now. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so kind of what I want to touch in and what you guys were speaking about, I mean, I kind of been through that whole brink, like literally as far as to how we confuse neighborhood with community. We have different opinions about stuff, you know, everything balanced, the faith and hope aspect. One simple thing that I've been able to um, kind of correlate is that it starts simple. We can't judge what we don't create. First off, it's point blank period. So it's like, you know, I kind of been in the mindset where I don't even tell people they're wrong anymore because we have to get to the fact that everything that people say dealing with people they got that from somewhere. So who are we to say where they got that from is wrong when we didn't ever create it. So that's kind of one of the main things that when it comes to the people building and um, you know executing and coming together, that's the first thing we have to take into consideration. I can't tell my neighbor, no. I can't tell them that they're wrong. But if we can have an understanding here that something happened to us <laughs> mm -hmm. and this is not truly and purely your choice because we was talking about this earlier today, a kid can't help who he's born to or who she's born to. She can't help or he can't help who the parents are. So, you know, just given our trials and tribulations and stuff like that, we have to take on that responsibility of just starting off and saying, you know what? You're not wrong. Let's take what I know and what you know and put that together. So if we start there, that'll actually be, you know, our climax and our turning point. Because, again, we're dealing in a system, monopoly, where after you roll a dice, it's out of your hands. And that kind of brings us back 360 to the idea of intrinsic, intrinsic works. And under those intrinsic works kind of goes back to what Yusuf was saying and he opened up the discussion around value systems and a vision that the community has itself and bringing the neighbors and the different people that want to participate in that vision to an understanding of what has been created. So I definitely uh, right and wrong becomes more relative as I grow older. Uh, but I am one to say that this is 
this is the premise. I can provide a premise and an understanding of this was the basis of the plan as of now. And this is the plan enacted and the vision we have. Please include what this is for you. Um, some of this can be very difficult. Uh, you spoke to our neighborhood and our neighborhood does have is different people with different visions. Uh, it can be it's transient for some because there are some renters, there are some homeowners, uh, there are seniors, there are young people, uh, different visions, uh, different people feel trapped in my neighborhood. Uh, certain people want to be there. That already is a difference. Uh, I love my neighborhood. I, I plan to be there for forever. So that already changes the perspective for some that feel like as soon as I can, I'm getting the hell out of here. Right. So their perspective is already different. Now with it, as certain developments happen, and development in my neighborhood is usually a dollar store coming to my neighborhood. <laughs> but and I mean, I'm, I'm being 100% honest. Oh, I understand. So <laughs> uh, that dollar store then becomes one of the resources in my community. But this is the 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 some of this is being enacted when we look at uh, this business and capitalism of community development, because the the incentive for for the buy in for other things in my community is not being driven in the tools of neighbors such as myself and residents are not given that now to to graft and create something that other people can buy into. And uh, I, I'm also one to think that the patience in the process of it. So the, the seed that's being created now, right now, through Detroit is different, through Jay's Fades, uh, through the Urban Network, is going to create more seeds as time goes on to even see that intrinsically this is possible. Because with what I'm doing with Detroit is different, I'm sure something like that in a premise exists. The closest thing I have is what R.J. Watkins does with uh, Watkins Broadcasting, HPR, TV 33. Uh, but other than that, you know, I think of the early GPR stories, but it's very few and far between of black independent media existing in a city with this many black folks. And you hit right on the same spot. That was going to be my next thing. How many people are willing to do something that they're not going to be able to receive glory and see and experience it themselves? It's it, but the glory comes from the understanding of the process itself. And I know I'm sounding like Jay right here, but if uh, the the you know uh, quote you know the the value is not necessarily in the fruit. Yeah, no, this is becoming very philosophical. Oh, but that's what it comes down to. That's what I was saying, how many people are willing. So when we're doing with our neighborhoods and stuff, we're trying to figure out how people want to gather and bring, you know, the energy and, and feel some kind of source of what they're pushing it to. I mean, that's just kind of a human phase of you want to see, again, the fruition of your fruits. So and that's that's what we got. to. That's what we need to, like, target and peel at. That fact that you're doing something that is so much greater than you. And it's, pro it's preached all the time about that, that, you know, it's bigger than us. Yeah. But that's literally the foundation of things because it's really you're doing something that, A, you may not experience, but this is going to be for your great grandkids. It's going to be able to have this opportunity. And that's one of the things that I've been able to experience and see as far as our family and our culture and, again, just, you know, oppressed people. That's literally the hardest thing. So that's why, you know, faith, religion always been so prominent because that's something that's having to be instored into people knowing that you're not going to be able to see, experience or feel everything that you want at this time. It's like we were talking about earlier. Everybody gets the cake, but they don't never get the ingredients.
that practice, it has to be born out of transformation. We have got to transform how we see ourselves, how we think, um, our, our values. Because even even when we don't know it, we, we're, we're practicing and thinking in a capitalist uh, framework because we're, we're taught to get it the best way you can. You know, do what you gotta do. I mean, those all are individual things. And even when you're like helping people, cast, shit, I ain't benefit from that. Right. I ain't making a dollar from that. I mean, because this is intrinsically has been instilled in us, which actually works to to our, our counterproductive of our community. Because then fundamentally, to your point, when you don't have Jay, hey brother, can I get that haircut? But when we wasn't meet, when I wasn't meeting you. Equally, it, it, it is what it is, but when I need you, hey, can I get the haircut? When, in, in which you probably don't have a problem doing it, but it's, where's the reverse investment? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate yeah, so, <clears throat> so money is typically a tool to get something, right? And we, typic we typically um, have a desire to get the money right, to get something. So earlier I talked about um, when we put processes in front of what I believe is, right? Um, so the analogy I used was walking. You know, I don't think you, you hope to walk, I think you just do it, right? So I think if we can um, get intimate with our end goal and stop spending so much time with our hurdles, we'll be a better people. But Oftentimes, people exercise poverty. I can't, I need, I wish, only if, if and then statements, right? Um, all damage your efficiency to me. Y'all got that? So I think if we are in alignment and we are creating, we cause, we are causing the matter. So I don't think we have to question much because we are in in the action of, yeah. So that's, okay, she, you wanna, she, will she be heard if she ask it without the mic? She's gonna need to ask the question with the mic and then you're gonna need to get it back. I'm not coming for anyone tonight. <laughs> Just have a question. So how did you receive that mindset, that language, is very important to creating. How did you receive that mindset? <laughs> you you want to add something else right now? Okay. Oh, man. So so I just was on Detroit's different podcast, um, and and I love for you to kind of check it out and you know uh, get a clear understanding um, from your perspective what you think. How I answer that question on the podcast is exactly how I'm going to ask uh, answer it now. I came here this way, right? So oftentimes people are underneath the thought of that they have been molded and shaped into being a human, right? Um, so, so I believe I came here this way, uh, but to help out um, a person that's requiring understanding, right? <clears throat> If you exercise poverty, you get more of it. You, you can understand it, 
you get emotionally attached to it. And if I share with you that you don't have to live that way, you will argue with me about that process. So I just choose, because each time you open your mouth, you have a choice to either build or destroy. Um, I believe both are necessary, right? I just choose to build. You got that? So you got another question. So you're saying from birth, when you were a toddler, adolescent, nothing happened in your life to influence you to think positively about what you can do as a human in this world. So I like how you asked me the question and then you motioned me to answer it a certain way. So I, I like that. So I'm led to say this. <clears throat> um, they said that I was born 1979. They said that I was a boy. They said that my name is Harlan J. Bivens. Do you understand the framework now? So they will always say a lot about your life. For me to be able to clearly identify a moment that caused something that you have noticed to happen, I don't think that I could effectively do that. You got that part? Okay. Just like you don't know the impact that's taking place at this very moment that's causing something for us to develop and grow from this situation and other people that's viewing it. Do you get that? Yeah. So there is no uh, logical way that I'm aware of to identify how you can uh, capsulize a scenario and or situation to suggest what you are worth or what you are. The term you are powerful beyond measure means just that you cannot measure it. And I believe in the base of that question, it is a metric that is that you're hoping to be able to get some type of measurement from. Is that about accurate? Yeah, we about to, yeah, it's definitely gotten more deep and more philosophical. <laughs> which, which I think the reality is, it's, it's through the lens of capitalism in America. Uh, the, the, personal, the personal disposition and philosophy I may have about whatever that state of existence, like, like the, 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 the concept of being in, imprisoned, uh, but still mentally being in another space uh, through meditation, and, and it's many things that can transfix it. The, the society, uh, and the design of the society that we stay in, and the and the basis and the premise of this society that we stay in, that we base in under capitalism, does face the have, the have not, poverty to exist in this state. I believe that uh, I believe that when we think of the resources and how they exist and how they they transfer, this is an important discussion because being in the American sphere. Uh, how we engage 
and how we can raise our quality of life collectively is very important. And it's, we need to be very intentional about making sure that it is equity amongst raising that quality of life. So in this takes many approaches. And many of those approaches about how we connect as neighbors is very important, but along with how we connect as neighbors that's important, uh, the factors that are changing that quality of life does need to be exposed, needs to be recognized, and we need to be very aware of those things that are happening. And those things could be through philanthropy, through foundations, through government. It could be through some of the other uh, community organizations that have aligned themselves against the better quality of life interest of uh, the greater good of our community. All of this does take part. Uh, so as much as I think, like I personally can, can transfix some of those conditions, I physically and I physically and sometimes emotionally can't even shake it. Uh, the, these are realisms, you know, as he said, I went to Northwestern, but I am the alumni president of Northwestern High School. Uh, very aware of what Ford Motor Company has done, and it started as Ford Motor Company, but Ford Motor Company is kind of enacting as a wing of doing some good community work for some of the less than inclusive practices and definitely not community-led practices of Henry Ford Hospital. And that has been for generations what Henry Ford Hospital has stood at. So this is a reality, I think, to me, uh, and that reality that does exist, knowing that being connected to Northwestern you know, uh, and, and even some of his hiring practices, the way that it may treat some of the people, uh, the development that takes place, this is real. Uh, and this, this real life can, uh, can be, can be the, the, the way that people lose their homes. People losing homes changes the way a person person sees themselves you know a, a home is representative of so many things uh, so I know you Steph wanted to add to this piece too I'm just gonna say this there's different, different levels, levels of poverty, poverty right and when you tie, tie into, into race, race it even gets deeper, deeper. Like, like there's black, black poverty, poverty there's white poverty, poverty and then there's a different, different another level, level of white poverty, poverty. It, and it's much deeper, deeper than just the mindset like we can, we can say those things, and and it, and it does become that, but it becomes that because it's the same thing with our ancestors, right? Who was who was kidnapped, brought to America? Those those first generations of Africans, they were trying, they was they was looking for Jesus, and not the Jesus that's in the church, the boat Jesus. He trying to get back to Africa, but over periods of time, their reality changed. Not because they wanted to, but because of the, the, the conditions. Again, in all of our education, we know now there's things that have been designed psychologically. Psychologically, say you paint a room a certain way. Psychologically, if you design a certain a room a certain way, your body, your mind will respond a certain way. So, what do you think someone who's been living in poverty, I'm sorry, surviving in poverty for so long? I mean, when you think about dilapidation. 
That human spirit becomes dilapidated. That mind becomes dilapidated. That badness that they see, they become the, they feel a bad. When you, when, when you are going to going places and, and people are treating you a certain way, over periods of time, I feel that way. And, and, and to you know, drive that point home, when we think about gender and what women go through, and overstanding the domestic violence, you be like, if it was me, I'd just leave. What are you that damn sense? <laughs> you know, you've been conditioned to depend on this man on that circumstance. So imagine for a group of people, a nation of people, for 400 years have been conditioned to depend on a system that they know is going to mess over them, but I don't know where else to begin. Yeah. Yeah, Yusef uh, definitely spoke to something that I wholeheartedly uh, concur. Uh, some of it on a personal level can be very philosophical and it, it, it can be something that one person can transfix. But the, the physical conditions of it, it's real. Like uh, uh, when I look at when I look at the, you know, these 50, 60 year urban plans and even the 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 premise of this as I, as i go back to what i where i began to like the the design of a lot of this is intentionally set up where it only really will be understood and easy to follow for a limited few that are not connected to my community and then when you are connected to my community to speak this language, you've already been indoctrinated in another system that's outside of what we're culturally indoctrinated in. Uh, it's, it's the concept of, 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 uh, of so many things in our community that, that never were truly designed for us. And these things really need to be designed for us, for us to succeed. Uh, so here are some of my ideas as I've been asking Yusef a lot of questions most of the most of the time I think uh, for for my first question you know in what way should philanthropists let's start with philanthropists first uh, when I think of philanthropists I usually think that that's one person usually that one person may extend to a foundation uh, but how can a philanthropist uh, support community development and build neighborhoods uh, and be a part of building that neighborhood. I believe that the first thing is ego. Um, the, the work needs to start disconnecting ego. A lot of philanthropists need to just say to themselves, instead of necessarily having a vision that they think will help and how it will help, that philanthropist needs to feel a certain way and say to themselves, I am going to be intentional about how I'm going to be in this community. Instead of that, I need to be intentional about finding out who is in this community and making sure that I let them decide. And if the resource I have is money, if the resource I have is automobiles, if the resource I have is property, I need to hand that over. The story that Yusef said about this home is the way that I believe a philanthropist can be very intentional about supporting a community. Get it out the way. Let the people there decide. You know, and whatever that resource is, instead of coming up with weird criteria, it's not American Gladiators, you know what I'm saying? Can you do this pitch competition? Send in a video. Uh, you know, do you got a lawyer on your team? And what's your 10-year plan? Do you have a business plan? And what's your what's your architect? What's your blueprint? It's like, no. No. Let the people figure it out. And if if 
if the people take that 10 million, 1 billion, 100 billion dollars and don't use it to what you feel like it's effectively, that's that's not even really your critique to make cuz however it's used, it's really not for your critique. You know, if that person takes the money and and burns it in a barbecue pit. If you're really being intentional, it's not about, you know, really helping. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's the same way if you call me and ask me for some money, you know, and then I say, well, you'd be like, let me get $20. I need to go grocery shopping. And it's like, OK, yeah, I'm going to Kroger. I'm going to go with you. And then I'm going to pick out your groceries for you. It, it, I'm, I'm not really assisting you right now. I'm, I'm being very judgmental. I'm being very petty and I'm being very immature about how I deliver that. That's step one. Philanthropists should step out the way, whatever resource they got to give, find who's in the community, give it to them. That's step one, I believe. Uh, for a foundation, it's similar, but the first thing that a foundation needs to, to ask itself is, why do they have such a vision in the first place? Foundations aren't necessarily, uh, you know, a lot of the foundations that are buying into the community development of Detroit. These are multi-million dollar businesses, you know, hiring urban planners, hiring so many teams, you know, basically spending, you know, almost like spending $100,000 to figure out how to give $100 to this Detroit community. That already is a backwards process. Why are you a foundation in the first place? And does the idea of ego, going back to ego, matter a whole lot more than the actual work you plan on doing. And that's very important when it comes to the foundation. So an analysis of every foundation as far as why they have all these, the, the employment, why they have the process, why are they a foundation in the first place? If they wanna be present in a community as a foundation, why not just strip things down and go back to that philanthropist? Why can't that person with whatever that resource is, property, uh, vehicles or technology or money itself, just give it away themselves? You don't need a premise or a design for this. Be willing to step away. Now, in reference to government, I actually do think government should be more held more accountable when it comes to this. Uh, I, I believe that the role government should play, especially if we're talking about HUD, uh, government more so than anything should have the community benefit ordinance in effect. And when I say the community benefit ordinance, maybe like a changeover of, uh, of residents that have been there the longest uh, and not even necessarily an elected people. And if that resident that's, uh, those residents that have held tenure the longest and then maybe some of the residents that have just moved into a neighborhood should should all decide and have votes upon how money is doled out and how these government agencies engage and interact with the community. Uh, the premise should definitely be built upon those people that live there uh, and that voice should be very strong. And really the accountability when it comes to those elected uh, officials and those politicians uh, Scorecards need need to be uh, need to be given, and with that scorecard, this may need to impact their own livelihood. Maybe uh, how much these politicians get paid. Maybe the access to the budgeting that they have. Maybe the access to the campaigning that they have. Because I, I don't even know if their job money really matters. Maybe it needs to be some way that campaign funding 
and the in inclusion of residents involved in community development need to be hand in hand together. And that kind of goes into how do you hold these people accountable? I think campaign funding is how you hold many of the government officials accountable. And when it comes to philanthropists and foundations, which I believe a lot of that money is probably already rooted in, uh, in God knows what weird business practices, I think the more process they have, the more, the more, the, the less of a tax shelter their organization should be. So the more staff they have, the more, uh, the more contracting they have, the more of all the build out and design they have outside of actually giving resources to a community, they, they should get less of a tax shelter connected to that. My question to all of that is when we was asking, um, when you were saying, like, you know, what's the plan? What's the blueprint? Remember you were referring to that? Why do you think they asked those questions? Because you spoke of the indoctrination. So, man, that's really kind of the answer, a little bit of the indoctrination. But my question to you is, is guess. Um, what are some ways and values or resources we can use to combat indoctrination? Well, uh, things like this right now, open forums, information, information is key. Uh, propaganda is one of the uh, most key elements in, in, in warfare uh, in, in leading people to ignorance. So open, inclusive uh, communication in, in forums like this, I definitely think help. Uh, I think also when I was asking about the plan and the vision to Yusef, it's the community making its own plan. So uh, just sometimes recognizing, sometimes just recognizing what's happening, you know, um, like right now, even in this room, you know, it's uh, we see people using devices, you know, so that naturally just just from from looking, it's like, OK, so it's a place and space for some form of devices to exist. What are the ways that we can be inclusive in this community deciding how to dull out support for these devices? And that's one of the young, one of the youngest people in the room and some of the oldest people in the room, the teens in the room, like the devices in use. So how do we empower our community around that if we're looking at this itself as our own neighborhood itself? Like that's kind of how it needs to be driven. We need to be thinking like, all right, by being here, what are we? What do we see? What do we acknowledge? What's what's the reality here already? Uh, it, so, some of that vision is the conversation, and then it's also the observation, and it's the reality of being there. We know it, we're there. We know what it's like uh, right now. If you live in any neighborhood like mine, and obviously Yusef Street, a little bit bigger, but close to mine, I, it's, my street's not plowed. You know what I mean? So uh, when you live in the side street, it's just an understood norm nowadays where if it's a snowstorm and you live on the side street, you won't have your snowplow, right? And then if we do have snowplow, people park on the street. How do you uh, deal with that? Or, or people with, uh, with snowblowers. Like, I mean, it, it's things that we can look at, you know, uh, I think that can be very instrumental in the change of how our community functions we just have to um 
We just have to be very present for building that vision and know what our strengths are in playing that role. That's what I was waiting for you to get to. Why you don't think we have that presence? Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. Why you think that presence? Because, I mean, watching our people, we're all about C. We do a lot of C, C, C as far as, you know, vision stuff. Mm -hmm. But our culture, community is afraid to say. Mm -hmm. Because, unfortunately, we still have the demographic and the mindset of things that we say gets us killed. I think... I think there are a lot of people uh, putting putting the work in. Um, I, I would say what Yusef's doing, what I'm doing, some of the stuff Jay's doing. Uh, it, it's it's many people, but it's just definitely not going to be the banner that's waved because, like I say, propaganda is a strong tool, and uh, a lot of what I can figure, you know, and I. I consume it sometimes like the ignorance is is something that we've been more conditioned to consume so uh discussions like this don't have the fanfare um and even like what Yusuf said if, if Kresge was holding this discussion it would definitely be a packed room because people would place the a dollar value to being present at that but that's what I think actually adds to the value of this discussion because that means that everyone that came to this discussion actually had uh, a, a stronger presence of mind of being here on their own volition as a spec as opposed to an expectation of what someone outside the community can give them so with that we get into a close we'll definitely pick this discussion up um and I, i'm looking forward to part two i'm pretty sure we're gonna have it sometime in the spring i'm gonna post this on detroit is different if you're not a part of detroit is different state hang back for a second i'm gonna get your email address and i'm gonna definitely be sending that to you very soon probably not this week but next week thank you black revolutionaries distillery owners italian fashion retailers and motown grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on detroit is different Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.